Have you ever been in a circumstance where you thought, and maybe you even said it, Jesus, if you're really there and you really care, then why did this happen this way? If you're really there and you really care, then why did this happen this way? Let me tell you a story. It's recorded recorded in Mark chapter 5, verse 22. It goes like this. Then one of the synagogue leaders, think, think religious, religious leaders, okay? One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus, we're told that he's a leader. In terms of religious leading, you could almost see him, he operates like a ruler among his people. In other words, he has some means Jairus could afford a doctor. But there's a point when even the best doctor that money can buy has to say there's nothing more that we can do. And so out of desperation, and I do tend to think this was out of desperation, Jairus thinks Jesus, maybe Jesus. Now, I say that because you need to know that most religious leaders in that day were not excited about Jesus. The reason they, did, they were not is because Jesus was the one who often pointed them out to be hypocritical. They looked like they had it all together, sort of demonstrated that to all the people, but Jesus called them at times hypocrites. He spoke of them that they were actually spiritually broken just like everybody else was. And so I'm saying it is probably out of desperation that Jairus thinks, what if? What if what I hear about this Jesus is true? And so he goes, finds Jesus. It says he falls at his feet. That's humility. But that's what daddies do when their little girls are slipping away. It says in verse 24, so Jesus went with him. Now, I think you just got to try to imagine the emotion that Jairus would have felt in that moment. Jesus said, okay. And then it says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And so you get the picture. Jairus finds Jesus. Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. But because Jesus is the one who said, I'll go, there's a crowd. Everybody's there for Jesus. And so Jairus is trying to put, push through the crowd. He's fighting through the crowd. we got to get Jesus to my little girl. And then this woman. It says she is subject to bleeding. It was probably a disease that 
caused menstrual irregularity, not only painful, but in this day, the law considered her unclean, which meant no temple access. She could not gather even to, to, to worship, to, to be encouraged. She, there no temple and no touch. No one would touch her. She was unclean. Verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? All right, this is kind of the disciples in a different kind of way going, that's a dumb question, Jesus. You see all these people, and you want to know who touched you? They're all touching you, right? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What a beautiful story. A beautiful story, a a woman in pain, a woman in loneliness. Her thought is, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just touch his clothes. And she works her way through the crowd. I mean, come on, Jairus is trying to fight through the same crowd. I don't think this was an easy task. She works her way in, and then I just, like I imagine this one final reach. And she brushes his clothes. The Bible says Jesus stops, and he asks the question, who touched me? I imagine her freezing. She's doing her best to blend into the crowd that is, that is already in place. But Jesus will not let it go. Who touched me? And eventually she steps forward. She is shaking because she is afraid. Why? Because she is unclean and she just touched Jesus. And Jesus looks into her eyes and he calls her daughter. It is a tender word. In other words, not only did I just heal your disease, but I'm also bringing you into my family. Daughter, loved. How beautiful. Unless you are Jairus. Because if you're Jairus, your daughter is at home struggling for every breath. If you're Jairus, every second counts. Verse 35. 
while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? In our days, doctors, medical teams, practice something called triage. It is unfortunate, but in our culture, we have come to understand what that means. Too often, it has to go into play. Triage is what happens in an emergency situation when you prioritize people according to how critical their situation is. That's triage. So in this particular case, we've got a daughter who is minutes away from death, and we've got a woman who, though painful situation, has a non-life-threatening disease at this point. In other words, she has survived 12 years. She's probably going to be okay the next 12 minutes. But that's not how Jesus does it. Because on the way to the daughter, he stops. And he doesn't just heal this woman, he engages with her, right? I mean, there's a conversation that happens. He stops. He wants to know who it is. The disciples are trying to move him along. No, he wants to know. There's enough time that passes. A conversation happens, and a little girl dies. In our world, um, for a physician, I mean, it, it might be considered criminal malpractice. I wonder, though, if some of us might have experienced from time to time some similar situations in our lives where we need Jesus to act, and we need him to act now. We need him to change something. We need it to change now. We need him to heal, and we need it to heal now. We need Jesus to move. Come with us, Jesus. We got minutes left. We got seconds left. We need you to act. And, and while we are waiting for him to do what we want him to do, we still notice that he is still working around us, and he is still noticeable. Lives being affected. Things are happening, and perhaps you walked through a situation where there was delay, maybe even loss. And it leaves us confused. It leaves us angry. Verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. This is not like, haha, good joke. This is, this is like scorn. Like, you are foolish. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, I like that part, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Now, Talitha means little girl. It's kind of a pet name, like today when 
when, when we talk to children sometimes, I mean, maybe to a little girl, you might say honey, or like in my house, when my, when my girls were really little, I'd still have a way of doing this. I call them sweet. Sweet. That's what this, that's what this word is like. And kum means get up. But it's not a strong word. It's the get up that would be associated more like with waking up from a nap. So I want you to get the picture here. Jesus walks into this room after he's put everybody else out, right, who's laughed. And here's mom and dad and the disciples. He, he walks into this room. He does not stand in front of this little girl and shout, get up. I don't know exactly how this happened. This is one of those, like, I want to see the replay when we get to heaven. I want to see this. God, can you show this back? But it's, it's like he walks into the room and he sits down beside her. And I imagine Jesus touching her face. And he says, hey, sweet, it's time to get up. Verse 42 says, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Can I give you some good news from a story today? Here's the first piece of good news. For Jesus, death is as easy to fix as waking someone from a nap. That's the Jesus we celebrate today. I'm gonna say it again. For Jesus, death is as easy to fix as waking someone from a nap. Now, here's why that's a big deal. Most people I talk to, most people I encounter, everybody's kind of got their top list of fears. And for most people, somewhere at the top of the list of what they fear is death. And what I love about this story is it is a beautiful picture of death. Now, that might seem like a weird sentence, but what I mean is this is what it's like for followers of Jesus when they die. That when we pass from this life, the picture we have is he is with us. There he sits at the the bedside or wherever it may take place, wherever I'm gonna take my last breath, I am not alone. He is with me, right there with me. And when I close my eyes on this side and I open my eyes in heaven, his face is the first that I see and his voice is the first that I hear and I realize I am more alive than I've ever been. I don't know what it is about that. But I think that's what it's going to be like. I think that's what it's going to be like. Let's just leave it for a second because, come on, we got two predominant views of death in our culture. Are you going to go with the secularist? where you are a random collusion of particles emanating from an initial explosion. And when it's over, it's over, the end. Or what if there is more? What if God made you an eternal being? And that's why 
There's something foreign about this death thing. That's why there's something that we fight against this thing of death. This is why it terrifies us. Which one of those resonates more in your heart that when it's over, it's just over? Or is there a longing for something more? And what does that longing mean? I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it, um, he, he asks it this way. He says, do fish complain of the sea for being wet? And if we were going to answer that question, we would go, no, they don't complain about being wet because that's where they belong. That's where they were meant to swim, fish, and water. That's the way it's supposed to work. Watch where, watch where he goes. He says, or if they did complain, would the fact not strongly suggest that they had not always been or would not always be purely aquatic creatures? Like, maybe this wasn't how it was supposed to be. If you are really a product of a material universe, how is it that you don't feel at home there? Man, that's a good question. In other words, does the fact that we go, come on, there's got to be more than this? There's got to be more than, than, than just the stuff I can accumulate. There's got to be more than this. Does that not speak to the probability that, wait a minute, maybe there's something more? He says it again in, in a different place. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Does the fact that we long for more point to the reality that we were created for an eternity? I'm telling you, death is not the end, and the resurrection proves Jesus' power over death. That's the good news we celebrate today. Let me give you a second truth. Second truth is that Jesus' love for you is not diminished in delay or personal stature. Jesus' love for you is not diminished in delay or personal stature. Let's start with delay because that's what we're wrestling with in this story. If Jesus really loved me, he would have gotten here sooner. If Jesus really loved me, he would have done what I was asking him to do. Look, Jesus knew that delay was not going to make any difference in this situation. It was as easy for him as waking her from a nap. But I want you to understand that the point of this story is not that if you believe enough, then Jesus will save you from death on earth. That's not the point of the story. This, this little girl was raised to life again, and then she died again. She ain't here. She died again. The point of the story is not that if you believe enough, that Jesus will save you from death on earth. The point of this story, I believe, is to show us what we experience in the power of the resurrection. Because of Jesus, the joy that Jesus gives us will make any of the pain that we have experienced from the delay seem like temporary inconvenience. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what, what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen 
is eternal. That when, that when Paul says struggles, he knows what he's talking about. He's dealt with death. He's dealt with abandonment. He has dealt with betrayal. This man has been through it all. And what he says is the weight and the length of eternal joy makes this struggle now feel light. And maybe this is the point where you say, Jeff, it certainly doesn't feel light to me. Maybe even my loved one is gone. This actually feels like the darkest moment of my life. And I please want you to understand that I am not dismissing anybody's pain. But I'm also saying that's the point. The weightiness of what we all experience in pain right now is actually an indication of how much more weighty the joy of eternity is going to be because what the Bible promises is that the then and there is going to make here and now seem light. Isn't that good news? Don't get me wrong, I wish you didn't have to go through the pain you're going through now, but it it is a part of the effect of sin in this world, and we all go through it. We all struggle. I'm saying the weight of what you feel now ought to awaken your heart to how good it's going to be. And that's because of Jesus. What is to come in the resurrection, what is to come with heaven, When you see then how much beauty God has brought through all of it, then what seems so overwhelming now will be small. That's the hope we have because of Jesus. His delay does not mean he doesn't love you. His love is not diminished in delay but also want you to see, or in personal stature. And here's what I mean by that. We got two characters in this story. One of them is described as a leader. He is a prominent person. He he would be well known. We know his name. The woman, she is an outcast. We know she spent all her money. And we don't even get her name in this story. We don't even get her name. Here's what I want you to realize. Jesus worked a miracle in both lives in response to their faith. Both. Let me give you an interesting verse, Isaiah chapter 64. We're going way back in the Old Testament. This is what one of the, one of the prophets had once said. Isaiah 64 verse 5 says, How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. It's an interesting phrase. I I still remember the first time that I really did some research back on what in the world is this talking about. And, and, I mean, this is just, i got to give it to you. Filthy rags were the cloth that would be used by a woman on a monthly basis. Or in this woman's case, every day. And here's what God said. Your best stuff, your most righteous acts, right? Your, your best goodness, the stuff that you would move to the top of the list to go, Here, here's what I got going for me. He says those righteous acts are like 
filthy rags before a holy God. In other words, salvation is not the reward of righteous living. We are all sinners, but thank God, salvation is not determined by how bad of a sinner I am. Salvation is determined by how good of a Savior he is. His love is not diminished by personal stature. You, maybe you feel like this woman today. Maybe you do. Maybe you feel like her. You feel like you don't even have a name. Like, I don't feel like anybody cares. I don't feel like anybody knows. I'm not connected. And maybe you don't want to be because you feel the brokenness. feels dirty. I'm telling you, if you will reach. Reach for Jesus. He loves you. He forgives you. And he will make you family. On the other hand, if you think that God is going to accept you because you're a pretty good person, Maybe better than most. I'm telling you, you're never going to know God's forgiveness. And you're never going to know the resurrection. One more. I'm done. This is good news, though. Jesus both offers more and requires more than you imagine. We learn that from this story. Jesus both offers more and requires more than you imagine. Here's what I mean. Jairus comes to Jesus needing a healing. He gets a resurrection. That's a miracle upgrade. Right? Every once in a while those happen. Miracle upgrade. Here's what I need to happen. And it's like, whoa, that was even bigger than I thought. Yeah, that's often how Jesus operates. But the cost for Jairus is he was required to trust in the middle of completely confusing circumstances. Jesus both offers more and requires more than he imagined. For the woman, she not only gets healed, but she also gets called precious daughter, gets now a family. I mean, the cost for her, her plan was a hit and run, right? Her plan Touch and go. That was her plan. If I can just get close enough, touch his garment, I'm out of here. Get the healing, get home. But Jesus said no. He required that she be willing to openly profess the faith that she had in him before that crowd. And it, we too are drawn to Jesus because of need. We are. We, we, are, we all need forgiveness. We're all looking for purpose. We come to Jesus out of need, but maybe some of you along with that are here today and you're looking for him because you got a family that has fallen apart and your thought is Jesus, maybe Jesus. Maybe a life that is broken, decisions that you've made, consequences that now fall and you know nobody else can help you out of this. Like Jesus, maybe Jesus. Maybe it's 
an addiction that you need to be delivered from. You know it owns you. Nobody else has been able to break it. You, Jesus, maybe Jesus. Here's what I'm telling you. What Jesus offers to you is far more than you imagine because not only does he want to help you out with that problem, he wants to help you with the biggest problem. That is your sin has disconnected you from him, but that's what the cross was all about. He died in our place. He became our substitute substitute and he rises from the dead and says now you reach for me I will call you sons and daughters he offers you more than you imagine but listen to me it may be too he requires more than you have dreamed because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he, he takes up his cross and he follows me. In other words, Jesus, we know the picture of him. He, he, he submits. I mean, he's the king of the universe, and yet he's willing to go to a cross for you and I. He lays it all down. He denies himself in order that you and I might have hope here this morning. He says, look, if you're going to follow me, you've you, you got to take up your cross. This is a denial of yourself that is total surrender to Jesus. This is not like a follow on Twitter. This is a follow like all of me for all of him. He's Lord of all or he's not your Lord at all. A total denial of self, a total surrender to Jesus, a complete trust. That's the only trade that Jesus makes. But oh my goodness, is it a good one. He gives you all of himself for all of eternity. He just says, I want complete surrender to me. Wow, what a great trade. We aren't good at being in charge. We aren't good at being God. We aren't good at being the king. There's so much stuff like death that's bigger than us. But any bigger than him. It's a good trade. All of him for all of eternity. Me. Total trust. The good news is that Jesus is the only savior from the one problem that affects us all. Death. Not just physical death, but a separation from him. But he suffered the penalty in our place. And today he offers us new life. Hear me, it is not earned, it is a gift. The one who has nothing else in death but Jesus actually has everything. The one who has everything else in death, but no Jesus, actually has nothing. Today, are you ready to make the trade? All of him for all of you. You say, how do I do that? Well, you respond to him. It's, it's not magic words that you say. It's not hoops that you jump through we we like don't parade you down front here and like no this is about your heart to his in a moment we're we're gonna we're gonna sing i'm gonna i'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing one more song here where we just acknowledge 
what is most important in this whole world. It's our love for Jesus that is in response to his love for us. As we sing that song, there are going to be some of us who are over here on this wall. We do that on purpose. It's kind of over there. It's kind of out of the way. Maybe today. This is just your day. You're like, I'm ready to make the trade. I'm ready to trust him. I need him. Then we'll meet you right over there. Maybe you're here today and you're going through some struggle. It feels like there's delay. You can't figure out why Jesus hadn't, hadn't shown up yet, why he hadn't done. Hey, I, we, we get it, and, and I'm saying we'd be honored today to pray with you as you walk through all that and that he would help us to trust. We'll be right over here. Maybe you're praying for somebody today. I don't know, you, all kinds of situations in this room. That's, we'll be right over here. It doesn't even have to be during the song, though. It could be when, we're over, when it's all over, we'll, we'll still be over here. Or it could be. Remember those response forms I told you about, the one where you could put a prayer request or a decision that you made today? You can put it on there. And then you just drop it in the box when you leave today. I'll pray. We'll sing. And we'll reach for him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for for this story God, it, it is a story that I, I don't think is all that far from a lot of folks who are either in this room who are, who are going to hear of this. Um, God, we've all had those situations where we just don't understand the delay. And I thank you for the truth today. I thank you for showing us who Jesus really is. I thank you for a savior. I thank you for a king. That death for him is like waking somebody from a nap. I thank you that, that his love is, is forever faithful, forever consistent. He, he never gives up on us. And so delay, delay doesn't mean you don't love. And every single one of us, regardless of our status, regardless of what we have done, you love us. God, today, may that truth settle over this place. May it settle in our hearts. May we be ready by faith to make the exchange, all of you, for all of us. You take our sin and you forgive. We get your goodness. We get your life. We get your power alive in us. God, today, will you do miracles in this place? Lives healed. Hearts forever changed. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. Let's stand together. We will sing.